This podcast contains swearing, drinking, lame dad jokes, descriptions of gross body problems, and lots of history. Consider yourself warned. Click here for your own set of sacred bones to make worthless vows upon. to Monarchs and Malarkey, the podcast where we take an alcohol-laden dive into the weird and quirky health histories and deaths of leaders throughout time. I'm your host, Danielle. I'm your co-host, Mike. And I'm the bum who lives under the stairs, Amanda. But whose stairs do you live under? Wouldn't you like to know? I would like to know. (laughs) Not yours, so it doesn't matter. And um, I, Danielle, am currently sitting here on a whole lot of drugs because, don't worry, they're legal. Um, (laughs) Or are they? They are. So as it turns out, when you have rheumatoid arthritis and fibromyalgia, headbanging at a Slipknot concert is not recommended. Yet she did it anyway. uh, It was so much fun. It was worth it. It was worth the pain. So Danielle might be a little off I am. Especially because our drink for this episode is really good. We have a beer called... Dead Guy Ale. Yeah, Dead Guy Ale by Rogue. And why are we drinking Dead Guy Ale, you may ask? Stay tuned to find out. Because we're going to talk about a dead guy. We're going to talk about necromancy. Yeah. I love the picture of this dead guy because he has a Pope hat. Yeah, he's got like this know, cool, cool, but it looks like it's part of his skull. It's so, pretty good. So I can, want a Pope hat. If you can find Rogue brand, their beers are pretty good. I like this brew. It's, it's kind of nutty, well-balanced. It is really well-balanced. Yeah, it's good stuff. Good stuff. And on that note, Monsieur Michel Lalonde, do you want to tell us who we're talking about tonight? We are talking, we are talking about Henry Four or Henry Bolingbroke. Did I say that right this time? You did. Oh you my did. god, Michael Hello. said something correctly! <laughs> we need to have like an excitement, like little like do 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 thing or whatever he actually pronounces things right. You do right. have kazoo. Because <laughs> <laughs> Michael actually <laughs> said a word right. So uh, if you paid attention to our last episode, you will know that Henry Bolingbroke is most likely responsible for the death of Richard II. So he's coming into this throne thing from a not that great angle. Right, so he was the cousin, so he kind of had a strong claim to the throne, mostly because no one really liked the first guy. Richard. (laughs) Nobody really liked Richard. (laughs) The guy we literally talked about last episode and you can't even remember his name. Good job, Mike. (laughs) Yeah, no one liked him. Well, no one likes you, but we keep you around. I like him. That's because you're married to him. Mom likes him. Eh. His mom likes him. Eh. Our boss likes him. Oh, that's good. <laughs> All right. Tell us about Henry IV. So Henry was born in April 1366 in the Bolingbroke Castle, which is located in Lincolnshire. He is also the Earl of Derby, or also known as the Duke of Hereford. Henry IV is the son of the eldest surviving son of John of Gaunt. And if you remember, John and Richard were really good friends. As a child, he was actually really close to his cousin Richard. So it makes him ordering his death that much more tragic. 
and they were both admitted to the Order of the Garter in 1377. Henry himself was a well-built fellow and was taller than the average standing at 5 foot 11. And there's a reason we know that, because there always is, and we'll get to that. He was also an excellent jouster. I want to marry someone who's an excellent jouster. I just want to be able to joust. I wish it was still legal. It is still legal. It is like they do jousting at all the Ren fairs. But like not jousting well, to not the death. Yeah. Not like real jousting. Not like Game well, of Thrones shit. But they weren't really supposed to in jousting tourneys, they weren't really trying to kill each other. They were just yeah, trying but to unseat each other. Yeah. But sorry, honey, if I meet someone who's a professional jouster and is rich, it's been nice knowing you. That's fair. That's fair. He can live under the stairs with me. <laughs> We will build tents out of blankets. <laughs> you don't even know where the stairs are. How do you know we could fit a tent? We'll build tents out of blankets. <laughs> Henry went on a campaign to Lithuania in 1390 and wasted a full year in an unsuccessful siege on the capital of Vilnius. Probably mispronouncing that. Oh, I'm bet. Yeah. Join us next time. <laughs> That's what you time. get every time you say something wrong now. On oh, Mike mispronounces everything. <laughs> so after the siege, he went on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And when he got there, he vowed that he would pursue another crusade to free Jeru- Jerusalem from the infidel. Jesus Christ. <sighs> what was with these freaking kings and crusades? Because I say as I drink out of my crusade goblet. <laughs> it's actually my son's i have so stolen cool. it I, he, it's really cool so we got this thing when we were at i think we got this at the tower of london yeah. right and mm-hmm. it does it looks like a crusader helm but you could drink out of it and amanda is basically the only person on the planet my son likes <laughs> yep so so he gave her the the wonderful honor of drinking out of his crusader mug tonight Oh, I drink. I'm gonna drink out of it every time we record now. <laughs> should drink out of it even without his permission. It's like I'm fair. drinking Crusader brains. You should drink the blood of your enemies out of it. Oh, I do. Yeah, just not while you're around. Damn it. Sorry. Anyway, he wanted to start another goddamn crusades, but he never would. In 1398, he would enter into the duel with Thomas de Mowbray, which would be canceled, and we covered that in the last episode. episode. Uh, where he went into exile, and then Henry usurped the crown from Richard. Henry's father, John, died in 1399, and so Henry's inheritance was denied from him due to him being in exile. And that was part of his motivation to come back to England, because he was thinking, my dad died, he wanted me to inherit his shit, and I want to take it. So, Richard's gone, I'm just gonna go take it, and there's nobody who's gonna tell me no. I mean, Richard's gonna tell him no, but who cares what Richard says? Yeah, Mm -hmm. he had more support than Richard did. So, he took London, and Richard was on his way back, and Henry was planning his ambush. The people that he wanted ambushing Richard... He made them swear on sacred bones to <laughs> see that his cousin had safe passage of conduct. Them safe bones, them spiritual bones. Everybody lies with those bones. Yeah. Everybody. 
it's like they're Owen two. Yep. For people swearing oaths on bones. One of these days, I'm just gonna get like some random bones from like a Halloween store. Yeah, I'm gonna start making people do sacred vows on them for me. Do you know what we should do? You know what? If our listeners participate in our online polls and quizzes and stuff, then a winner could get one of our <laughs> fake relics. They could have our sacred bones. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, so later, Henry married Mary de Bon and had six children, but Henry had a really strained relationship with his... That actually wasn't later. He married her in 1381. Well, yeah, he married her in 1381. <laughs> Just saying. this is He actually married her before this. Yes. And he had a really strained relationship with his son, who was also named Henry. Had Go figure. Right? They didn't like each other very much. In fact, Henry the Younger sympathized a lot more with his uncle Richard and may have even liked Richard more than his own father. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'd heard that. I'd read about that before. And it it put a super strain on their relationship. And later when we get to the deathbed, I've actually got a really funny story about that. And Amanda is going to tell us more about the wives. Yeah, so Henry, as you said, was married to Mary. They got married in 1381. Um, They had six children all together, and Henry V, which was the next king, um, who we're not going to talk about because his reign was pretty boring, but um, he had with Mary, but then she died in 1394. So they were married for only about 13 years. Um, He then married Joan of Navarre in 1403, so this is about nine years later. Joan of Navarre was married beforehand to John IV, the Duke of Brittany. Um, She was John's third wife, and they had multiple children together. So John died, and not too long afterwards, Henry proposed to Joan. Um, It's actually believed that he proposed to her not for any political reason or, like, you know, because they always married for politics or land, whatever, but that he actually just genuinely liked her. She actually, they originally got married by proxy because she originally did not want to leave her children that she'd had with John, especially her sons. So it was only, it was actually like two or three years later after they got married that she actually moved to where Henry, in in with Henry. She was also not super well liked in England. A lot of the people that she was friends with didn't have very good relations with England or the things they did. And so she herself was not very well liked by the people or by the court. But she, unlike her husband, Henry, had a very good relationship with Henry V, his son from his first wife, Mary. They were said to have actually been very good friends for a very long time. And he trusted her so much that when Henry IV died... He actually gave her regency in his absence when he was gone in 1415. So he trusted her so much that he actually allowed her to rule the country in his stead while he was gone. Yeah, she was really smart and she had a really good head for politics. Yeah, she was known a lot of the ways that she's been described. And, you know, she was described as beautiful, as a very gracious person. Some people called her greedy and not like untrustworthy. But everyone always agreed that she was really smart, that she really knew how to... How to get, get shit done. How to get shit done, how to get what what she wanted. So we'll get back to more about her in a little bit. So in 
So Henry's claim was that to the throne was that he was descendant from King Henry III and therefore had a right to the crown. However, n not everyone supported his claim, and Richard II, even though he was imprisoned, still had supporters. There was a rebellion in January 1400 led by supporters of Richard II that he had to put down. And then, mysteriously enough, Richard died or was or was killed the following month. Yep. I think that definitely adds credence to the rumors that Henry had Richard killed because he didn't want another rebellion trying to free Richard. I don't think there's anyone who can look at all the evidence these days and think for one second that Henry didn't have anything to do with Richard's death. Oh, he definitely did. The The exact cause isn't known, but this idea that Richard starved to death, like we talked about last time, it just doesn't really work. And also, why would he have? Why would he have starved himself when he could have been in there going, I could double up on my people and come back from this? You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. it just doesn't make sense. But it does make perfect sense that Henry would be like, oh shit. Oh shit, I gotta stop these rebellions yep. before... There's one that I can't. Yep. Yeah. Another big rebellion was led by the Welsh landowner Owen Glean. And he led another rebellion that same year. And the Welsh would rebel for like the next 10 years against Henry trying to get under English control. And so Henry would have to keep going and keep having to fight not only them but also the Scottish as well. One of these rebellions was led by his friend, the Archbishop of York, which when an archbishop is rebelling against you and therefore then brings in the clout of the Catholic Church, you're kind of fucked. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But Henry defeated this rebellion and executed the archbishop, which was a decision that Henry really felt and haunted him and he thought as one of his great sins against the church. One of the most active leaders against him was the Prince of Wales, John Oldcastle. So John Oldcastle was also a friend of Henry's, and Henry didn't want to execute him because he was his friend, and he gave him several opportunities to try and repent and recant his criticisms, but he wouldn't. Did he have a son, John Newcastle? Yes. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm just wondering. Uh -huh. There's a new castle in England, I'm just asking. Yes. It was built on pop on top of the old castle. Okay. Uh -huh. That happens uh -huh. a lot there. I'm just saying. So John's execution was to be burned alive. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So he put him up on the pyre and was like, Okay, I'm giving you one last warning. Repent. John's like, nope, light it. So they lit it. John starts cooking. Henry's like, oh my god, what am I doing? <laughs> Put out the fire. Fire's out. Okay, John. I'm really serious this time. <laughs> Just repent, bro. I mean, at this point, he was burned so severely that he wouldn't have survived very long afterwards because burns do terrible, terrible things to you. Oh, sure. A third degree burn 
burns all the way through your skin and your fat. But it's not the burning that kills people most of the time. It's it's inhaling the smoke. Yeah. Yeah. So the smoke inhalation can either kill you before you really even start to burn or during it. Depending on how much of his body was burnt at that point, he actually could have lived, but it would have been really touch and go because they didn't know enough about skin grafting and fighting infection and stuff like that. But it, it depends. If he had so much of his body burned that it would have definitely killed him, period, dot, end of story, then he probably would have been almost dead anyway from the smoke inhalation. I mean, either way, it's a horrible way to go. It is an awful horrible way to go. Way to go. Uh, but John wouldn't repent, so Henry had the pyre lit once more, and this time John died. I think it's actually really cruel to have stopped it. That oh, almost yeah. makes yeah. it worse. Yeah. Definitely. Like, to go through the pain and the fear again. Yeah. And have it dragged out that much longer. Yeah. So, because of all these rebellions and wars were totally expensive... Henry needed money from Parliament. Don't they all? Uh, Is he going to raise taxes? Yeah, he's going (laughs) to raise taxes. Imagine that. And he's going to squeeze money from people. And Parliament's not going to be happy about it. And they're going to accuse Henry of financial misconduct and start to take away his powers from being king. During this time, Henry's health also began to decline which gave Parliament more of an opportunity to come in and take more power away from Henry. And Danielle's going to tell us about Henry's health and what happened to him. So around 14... He he died. Well, yeah, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. He did die. Damn it! Spoiler alert, he dies. Spoiler alert, he's gonna die. Spoiler alert, this person from the 1400s is dead! So Henry IV started having what people called fits, uh, where he would just kind of go out of it and have what they thought were seizures. And there's not really any way for us to know for sure if they were actual seizures or anything like that. But he would have these so-called fits starting in the early part of the 1400s. And he would sometimes for weeks or even months at a time go into almost a catatonic state and just not really be aware of what was going on around him. He also developed a skin disease of some sort, and the only records of this skin disease said that it was a disfiguring disease and that he had a large growth under his nose and separating sores, which means weeping sores. So there are three different possibilities for this disfiguring skin disease, leprosy, syphilis, or psoriasis. I am going to just right off the bat, in all my wisdom, I'm not a professional, uh, dismiss the idea of psoriasis. Psoriasis can cause pain in the joints, and in the rashes it gives you are kind of dry, flaky, it can give you weird fissures, peeling, little tiny bumps, it can cause thickening and redness of the skin. Some people with it can get depression or inflammation in their tendons, there's a lot of itching and you can get small dents in your fingernails. That's weird. Yeah, but it doesn't kill you. It doesn't cause any kind of brain disease or anything like that. Well, isn't psoriasis one of those ones that usually you suffer with it all your life? It doesn't usually develop that late in life? It can develop later, but not always. So yeah, it's an autoimmune disease. 
So if something shuts down his autoimmune system, then yeah, he could develop it. But it's not one that's going to kill you. And if your immune system shut down, it's not the psoriasis that's going to kill you. It's going to be something else. Well, yeah. So another idea is leprosy. And that's a really popular one with a lot of people. Leprosy, it, it does affect the skin, obviously. And it can affect the brain. But not in the way his symptoms would indicate. It can also affect the spinal cord. But the brain and spinal cord issues are your peripheral nerves. They just kind of go out of control and don't work right. That would not cause these weird fits and seizures he would have necessarily. It does cause skin sores. It can give you lumps and bumps, which there is the record of him having the big bump under his nose. It your can, arm can fall off. Your leg can fall off. Your butt can fall off. Well, usually what <laughs> falls off is, is going to be the tissue inside your septum. Yeah, but that's not or what Monty your, Python teaches us about eyes. leprosy. Yeah, I know. But, I learned my leprosy lessons from Monty Python. Thank you very much. <laughs> but it usually, if it's going to remove, if you're going to have body parts fall off, it's usually going to be the eyes, like the eyelids and the septum area. Ew. I know. It's it's really gross. But Yeah, because then you can't blink anymore. <laughs> yes, yes, that's, that's, that's the concern. The, that's the worst part, Michael. I yeah. can't blink anymore, let alone the fact that my nose is about to fall off. You know, you think like, okay, blinking's not that bad, but hold your eyes open for five minutes. <laughs> and then you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I can't blink anymore. This is horrible. Uh, so there are three different kinds of leprosy. There is a tuberculoid leprosy and it's a really mild less severe form it's usually only a few patches of flat pale cover colored skin and then the nerve damage can make it feel kind of numb but it's not very contagious and it's really not that severe uh, the next kind is lepro lepromatos which is a more severe form of the disease it gives you really widespread bumps and rashes and that same numbness and muscle weakness, it can affect your nose, your kidneys, and your male reproductive organs. Oh, your penis can fall off. And yeah, but you had six kids. But so. your penis can fall off. It's more contagious. Well, keep in mind, leprosy, he, if he had gotten leprosy, he could have caught it at any point in time, and it could have been latent and not shown signs for a long time. So he could still have had kids. The other kind is called borderline, and that's a type that has symptoms of both diseases, but again, you'll notice these don't have anything that really has anything to do with mental illness type stuff or seizures or anything like that. On the other hand, we have syphilis. Syphilis comes in several different forms. Syphilis is ill. Syphilis is a nasty one. The worst forms of syphilis can include rashes, bumps, ulcers, fatigue, itching, mouth ulcers. It can give you... Rashes on the palms of your hands and the soles of your feet, sore throats, swollen lymph nodes, weight loss, genital warts and sores. It's a nasty one. And considering that most of these are not going to be on the face the way leprosy is, that's the first thing that makes me lean towards this. Because what is said about Henry is that despite having this skin disease he was really embarrassed about, he could wear clothes to, to hide it. So, leprosy is like the lupus of STIs. <laughs> what? <laughs> I have it no just gives idea. you everything. No, 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 no. We're talking syphilis. This is syphilis lupus. now. Keep up. 
Yeah. Syphilis would be the lupus of yeah, STIs. It gives you yeah, that's what I said. No, you said leprosy! Damn it. I meant syphilis. Oh my gosh. And I'm the, I'm the one on meds over You here. can't keep up tonight. What is this, Michael? <laughs> I'm the one on meds. He's having sympathy brain issues. So maybe he has syphilis. I'm just tipsy. Nah. So. Sure hope I don't have syphilis. Now. You I hope you don't have syphilis. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. So syphilis can and does cause long-term brain damage. It can absolutely cause fits of what we might call madness or seizure-like activity. It will actually leave markings on the bones. If we have bones of people with who, who had syphilis long-term, we can see signs of it in bone lesions inside the skull. So when we last examined Henry's bones... Because Michael personally signs? examined them. Of syphilis? Okay, no. I can't tell you that because nobody recent who knows what to look for has looked at the bones. Sorry. So, Michael, it's your job now. Go to his grave. Okay, we're going to plan a grave robbery. Yeah, bring me a Yeah, bring the skull and we'll look to see if there's signs of syphilis. Yeah, I'll look and see if there are any of those lesions in there. I'll make a distraction for the guards. Do not, disclaimer, please do not actually do that. That would break so many laws. So One of our laws. listeners shows up on our doorstep with a skull and is like, look at I got you. Oh, oh, okay, I'm going to examine this and then call the police. <laughs> we'll try to go to England again and we'll get to customs and they'll be like, uh, we can't let you in. We have this report. So anyway, uh, so it can cause stuff like that. So that's a very real possibility. And that's the one I lean towards the most. However, it is always possible he had something completely unrelated to his skin disease, like some sort of epilepsy or even something causing many strokes. I mean, there's so many things it could be because we just don't have really good, clear records about what his symptoms look like. The other very, very slim possibility is that he actually had a kidney disease that can eventually cause brain damage that can give issues like this and that can give really bad ulcerated skin problems. This is something that comes up often when people talk about the line of the Plantagenet Kings is that they all seem to have had some form of madness and a lot of them are said to have had different types of sores and things. And even when we get to King Henry VIII, he had an open wound on his leg, an ulcer, for a great deal of his later life. So there's always the possibility they have this hereditary kidney disease. I don't really lean towards that one as much, but it is a possibility. Henry died on March 20th, 1430, and it's actually a kind of interesting story. He was at Westminster Abbey praying. He'd been doing that a lot lately, and he was actually in the tomb of Edward the Confessor, at his shrine. And he probably he, felt guilty for all the people he all killed. All the horrible things he did, right? And he had a seizure or seizure-like activity while he was praying. And the monks took him into the abbot's chamber, which is called the Jerusalem chamber. And the cool thing about that is that Henry had had somebody prophesy that he would die in Jerusalem, which was one of the reasons he said he would do another crusade. Oh, snap. Yeah. And he really, truly believed it. So when they put him in there, he said 
ah, I knew I was going to die in Jerusalem. And he did, but he didn't die right away. It took him a while. So one of the traditions when a king was dying and they knew he was dying is they would take the crown in next to him so that the next in line could immediately take the crown, put it on his head and signify, I am the rightful king, the heir apparent. This is the way it's supposed to be. The king is dead, long live the king. The king is dead, long live the king, right. So his son, the Prince of Wales, who will be Henry V, thought his dad was dead and took the crown and put it on and left the chamber. Damn! And then all of a sudden Henry IV wakes up. That's a little cold. Just like, peace, dad. I'm king now, bitch. Remember, he didn't like his dad. They were not getting along. That's still a little cold. But, But he, I mean, he really did. Henry IV was giving every indication he was dead. They couldn't see his chest moving. They didn't really know that much yet about how to check for that kind of thing. They didn't have stethoscopes or machines hooked up to him or anything. So to all, all intents and purposes, he appeared dead. So Henry V leaves with the crown. And then Henry IV wakes up and he's like, I'm not dead yet. I'm not dead yet. No, I'm not dead yet. <laughs> so he's like, see, Monty Python does teach us things. It does teach us things. So he's like, yo, where's my crown? And Henry V brings it back. He's like, I'm so sorry, Dad. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean I didn't mean to steal your thunder. Go ahead and die in peace. And he did. He died a short while later after that. And then, and then Henry V poked him a few times, right? opened his eyelids, and was like, all right, now he's dead. Tickled his foot a little. You gotta, and then they break out into the chorus of, well, now he's dead. You got to think, there may have been a point of time when... Henry V came back into the chamber, saw his dad alive, and looked at his pillow and was like, maybe I can just help you along. Oh, it wouldn't surprise me, but the monk was in there, or the monks and abbot were in there with him, so I don't think that happened. Hey, monk and abbot, go get me some coffee. <laughs> hey, abbot! Hey, abbot! Uh, so after he died, Henry IV was buried at Canterbury because there was a saint he was really super into at the time who was buried there at Canterbury. So he was not buried in either of the normal places and is still there to this day next to his queen. Aww. Aww. So speaking of his queen, we wanted to talk a little bit more about Joan after um, Henry IV's death. Yeah, because this is like, Straight up crazy shit. Because she had some crazy shit happen to her after he died. So, like Daniel said, he died in 1413. And then, as I mentioned earlier, she had a very good relationship with his son, Henry V, who is now the new king. So much so that she ran the country while he was gone in 1415. But when he returned from France, he had one of her sons from her first marriage, Arthur of Brittany, as a prisoner. Yep. And she was pretty pissed because her son from her first marriage was being imprisoned by, you know, her stepson from her second marriage, one that she'd always gotten along with very, very well. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine this as a drama on like a daytime TV talk show? Oh, no, like HBO with stars or something like that. And they'd be like, period drama. One of those things where you watch and you're like, that is, no, there's no way. And yet this shit really did happen. I'm thinking more like Jerry Springer. Like, she's up there on the stage, like, bitch, you imprisoned my other son. <laughs> right? Well, I mean, for those, <laughs> right? And for those who 
those first couple years after Henry's, Henry IV's death, she was considered very esteemed by Henry V. She yeah. was given, she was called, she was given the role of Queen Dowager. She was allowed at all the ceremonies. He really loved her and yeah. he really saw her as a mother. She still had an honored place at court. She was welcome at all their meetings. I mean, she was, she, it's Yeah, weird. she was very, very well respected. So, of course, when he comes and brings her other son as a prisoner, she tries to get Arthur released. She's mm-hmm. like, you know, talks to Henry and is like, you know, I understand that you had to do this, but I really, really hate that you did this. Can you release him? And he refused to release Arthur, which greatly damaged her relationship with Henry. Yeah. Imagine um, that. And as the next few years went by their relationship just got worse and worse and worse. And he started, you know, kind of taking away some more of her rights, things she was allowed to do in court. And it got to the point where, you know, a lot of people just thought that they hated each other because Mm -hmm. he, he refused to do this. So a few years later in 1419, she was unexpectedly arrested by the king on order by King Henry V being accused of hiring a couple of men as magicians to use their witchcraft to poison Henry. Yep. And there was a lot of rumors that went around at this time that she was heavily involved in witchcraft and necromancy. And that the two men that she hired were people who did it with her and all this kind of stuff. And that she was trying to poison him to take the throne back. Which is why we're drinking dead guy ale is because she was accused of necromancy. Mm Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you're gonna be accused of any kind of witchcraft or black magic, you you gotta go all out. Live it up. Oh Live yeah. It up. And the thing was, is she was found guilty of using witchcraft, but however, she never actually really had a trial. She wasn't put to death or anything else like witchcraft usually was. All she was was imprisoned. She was imprisoned at Pevensey Castle for about four years, and then she was later moved to Leeds Castle. But it's said that she still had a very luxurious lifestyle. It wasn't like she was in this tiny, sad little cell or anything. She had a big, nice room. She had food. She had wine. Guests were allowed to visit her. All of this kind of stuff. So it was more like house arrest. Like yeah. really, yeah she had a really nice allowance. Yeah, it was, it was good stuff. Another interesting tidbit is it was her confessor who initially accused her of witchcraft. Mm -hmm. But then it was said that he was the one who lured her into performing witchcraft. So that's fun. (laughs) Well, and one of the... When she was accused of necromancy, having been the widow of of King Henry IV and everything, it was a very, you know, drama central Mm -hmm. thing. You know, it was was great gossip. One really good quote about that time of when she was accused was, of compassing the destruction of our lord the king in the most treasonable and horrible manner that could be devised. So they're saying that this is the worst way ever that she could try and kill the king, but she was never put on trial. She wasn't put to death. She got to live this extremely luxurious lifestyle while in prison. And the weird thing is the king never got sick like he had been poisoned. There was no outcry of an assassination attempt. It was just all of a sudden, bam. She's being accused of this. And and later on, a lot of people, a lot of historians believe that it was, that she never actually tried to kill him. Mm -hmm. That she was never involved in this stuff. It was a political move. Because her and Henry weren't doing well anymore. And he could have been afraid that she would somehow try to 
get him dethroned or take the throne for herself or whatever. And just did it to get her out of the way. But he still had love for her because they got along for so well. So he allowed her to live this extremely luxurious lifestyle while she was imprisoned, quote unquote. Well, one of the pieces of evidence they used against her was claiming that her father, King Charles of Navarre, had a reputation for necromancy because people just didn't really like him. (laughs) Yeah. She lived this way for quite a few years. But then Henry V um, was dying. And on his deathbed, six weeks before he died, he ordered for her release. And for all of her possessions to be returned. When she was sent to prison, although she had this really luxurious lifestyle, all of her wealth had been taken away from her. So on his deathbed, he ordered for her release. And his words were really interesting. He said... We, doubting lest it should be a charge unto our conscience for us to occupy for longer, they said, dowager in this wise, the which charge will be advised no longer to be on our conscience. Like, I feel really bad I did this, and I don't want it on my conscience when I die. Yeah. So, so he, he knew it was bullshit. He knew and it was, he was bullshit. It and this was on his deathbed. Yeah, he'd this been was injured he, in battle. He released her about six weeks before he died, mm-hmm. and. It's very much like, yeah, he's like, I didn't really actually believe this. She didn't do anything. I feel really bad, I feel guys. really bad, but I'm going to die now. <laughs> I'm dying, and I don't want to go to hell for this. So that was in 1422 when he died. Joan did not die until 1437, so she still lived quite a few years after this, kind of just on her own, away from everybody else. She didn't really want to be involved in politics or anything anymore, and she just kind of lived her own life until she died. But it was all basically bullcrap. Yep. God, women are just... But at least you gotta give it to him that although he did that, he at least, like, he let her live a really nice life. She was able to have visitors, friends, good food. It was basically like she was... just couldn't leave the room. But she still lived a really good life in there. Yeah, but I mean, she's not getting out of there to go visit her other kids or anything like that. It's just kind of sad. She hadn't done anything. There was some occasions listed of people who were allowed to visit her that she occasionally were allowed to have some of her children, usually her daughters. Mm -hmm. But her son, Arthur, was still imprisoned by Henry for a very long time. So that concludes the saga of Henry IV. And his crazy, badass wife, Joan. Yeah. I hope she was a necromancer, actually. Right? Yeah. If I did, like, an HBO series of this, I would totally actually make her a necromancer. That would be rad. Fanfic. Joan Navarre fanfic. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so that about wraps it up for this episode. Please do us a huge favor, and whatever platform you use to listen to us, if you could review, subscribe, follow, whatever that platform does, that really helps us out to get more listeners and to keep our podcast going. And we really like to hear what you guys are liking, what you want to hear more of, anything like that. Yep. And you can always find us on our social medias, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram on Twitter and Facebook, we are at Monarch Malarkey. Monarchs and, on, and Malarkey on Instagram. Did I say Instagram? I mean, on, we're on Twitter and Facebook, it's at Monarch Malarkey. On Instagram, it's at Monarchs and Malarkey. Yep. Find us on there. Tell us what you think. Take our quizzes. Tell your friends. Don't do drugs. If and you do we'll... drugs, make sure it's the good ones. <laughs> At least do, yeah, don't do like 
like bad drugs. Do fun, good drugs. Don't do drugs. <laughs> and uh, make sure you pay attention because you could win your very own kazoo. <laughs> See you on the flip side, peasants. <laughs>